Vusi, I'm not exaggerating when I say the whole country is waiting to hear you. Okay. I have never seen so much social media activity since you told people you're coming in. <laughs> and, and others said, could I even come into studio just to see the man and listen to him? Good evening, mate. Gunjan, Yeah, Gunjan. Yeah, you know, it's always, always a, good to have you here. Always a privilege and a pleasure. Been good? I've been, I've been, I've been eternally blessed. You know, I've just come off the book tour. We set all kinds of records in the book tour. The, they've never seen these kind of numbers. Yeah. So we've done four times the numbers they did in Durban. We did three times the numbers, the highest numbers ever done. Give you a sense, the book tour here in Joburg at the exclusive books. Yeah, I bumped into you when I, I was walking in, yeah. remember. Yeah, I knew it was your book We, tour. we did three times the numbers they did when they released Jacques Pose, the president's keeper. You're kidding me. Yeah, so... So it, that's been fun. And of course, I'm on tour now. So it, I've just come it, it back. It has to be the Sunbeam story. <laughs> I love the Sunbeam story, mate. Yes. And of course, I'm on tour. So I've just come back from, uh, I was in Zimbabwe. And before that, I was in Mauritius. I've got Zambia coming up. Still got New York, Finland, and a couple of other places. So it's... Uh, Congratulations, man. God is good. I'm yeah. just riding the wave. Yeah. Beautiful read, by the way. Beautiful read. Uh, I didn't know your turn of phrase can be this amazing. I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> we, are on, we are live on Facebook, guys. Metro FM Talk with Rams. And we are in the, on the coaching class with a global business speaker, well-renowned South African entrepreneur and venture capitalist, Vusi Tembegwayo. Today, mate, we're talking something rather broad, but for me, something very exciting. Because there's something that, I've always, that has always bothered me personally is how do we build businesses where it does not seem like it's possible in yes. areas where you know, and you create opportunities where people think it's, it can't be possible to create opportunities sure. and you it's a subject that you you also are very passionate about going into places that are un, unvisited and trying to turn them around sure. but also in the context of the economy we live in i mean we're currently in a recession they call it a technical recession but yes. we're in a recession yeah so let's start with that part i mean the state of the economy yeah. So, for, for a business person, do we look at the state of the economy the same way as everybody else look, looks at the state of well, the economy? Yeah. Um, I think not only should you be looking at it that way, but your eyes should probably be a bit more hawkish. So I remember saying to somebody in the beginning of this year that we were certainly, it felt in the real economy, those of us who are in the real economy, like there was a recession looming. Mm. And you could see it with the prices that we were able to charge. You could see it with the, with the companies that are supplying and the companies to whom they supply. There was a more aggressive discounts that are being asked for. Yeah. There was a shortage of supply in the market, but the prices weren't going up. Demand was depressed. So in the real economy, you could feel that there is something going on. Services and commodities, there mm. was something going on. I think what it means for, and I always say this to entrepreneurs, what it means if you're a business person or an entrepreneur, is you have to begin to think long-term. The thing with economies is they go through cycles. So this is not the first recession. Yeah, It's not the last. There will be more and they will be deeper. There will also be booms. The challenge with entrepreneurs is we love the moment. So when there is a boom, you think this thing is going to boom forever. We cash in. That's right. Yeah. So you think it's going to boom forever. And what you do is you fix your costs at a rate of revenue consistent with the boom period. Yeah. You forget that this thing will tick down. And the fix is the most important part, that you fix your costs. So I say to my team all the time, the best businesses are businesses where costs track revenues. 
In other words, that if you have a variable revenue, you must have variable costs. Mm. You must have the ability to negotiate in or out of term in terms of what you buy, who you buy, where you buy, in terms of the labor that you require, when you need it and how you need it. So I think this economy is going to teach people to be a bit more flexible. And you have to start thinking in a bit more flexible way. Do you need a 200 square meter office? Do you need a 200 square meter restaurant? You know, the other day I was coming back from um, Mulder's Drift. Yeah. And I drove past this lady's pie shop. She had a fantastic pie shop. So I went in and I bought some pies. The first thing that struck me was the size of her shop. I said, why is this, your shop so big? And she said, well, Afrikaans, well, you know, it's so big because it's so lacquer and people like to come and sit. <laughs> said, well, I'm sure. But, you know, the people who like to come and sit, can they not sit in a bit of a beaky, you know, small yeah. place here? Because you've now fixed your costs in this economy we're in, in a, in a transit economy like Mulder's Drift. People typically don't stay there. They travel in and out of there for conferences, yes. which means your demand is going to be affected. So entrepreneurs, I think, and business people have to start thinking a lot more flexibly about their businesses and a lot more flexibly about their cost structures mm-hmm. and allow themselves the dexterity of elasticity. Move things around. Don't fix things. Especially things that do not need to be fixed. 100%. Yeah. I mean, remember, there are vanity costs. Yes. We all have them. Rental, vanity yeah. costs, fantastic offices, yeah. vanity. I've got vanity costs. You come see my office. You've been. I've been. Right? Yeah. So those are, those, are, those are part of the journey of how, as an entrepreneur, you say, I've arrived. Yes. But you have, it's had to be measured. You have to understand where are my vanity costs and what am I doing? I have done a lot internally. So when I speak to entrepreneurs, because I'm doing it, I've done a lot internally about shifting my labor costs. Yeah. And I've gone, which people do I need and what do they do? And which people can I subcontract and what do they do? So do I need a full-time PR person or can I subcontract a publicist who comes in two days a week? Is that what you refer to when you speak about dispersion of labor? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the, so, so the, the, particularly in this country, I think the, the labor dispersion is a question around we have a labor system in this country that is based on a fixed system of mm. employment. We're moving into a gig economy. Yes. And this is an economy where people get the job. They don't get a job. You get yeah. the job. The gig. Right? Yeah. And, and so it means, and, and, it's, and entrepreneurs have to learn, business people have to learn that it's okay to say to people, actually, I don't have a, a full-time job here. But what I do have is a one-day-a-week one type yeah. of situation. Mm. This is how we're going to measure it. This is how we're going to work. And this is the value I expect you to bring to this organization. And if it doesn't work, then you and I can renegotiate that. I, I said recently to a young woman looking for a job that uh, stop looking for a job. Yes. Go into these places and ask them, what can I do for you once a week, yes. twice a week, yes. three times a week? Yes. Ask them that. You yes. could solve a problem, but it also frees you to do other things. Why do you want to have a, an employee number? Yes. I've got this thing about employee numbers. <laughs> you and I have had long conversations about employee numbers. I think a part of it is the psychology of this country. Mm. We have a psychology in this country where people want employment. They don't want a career. So I need a payslip. Yes. But also, the psychology is, is further reinforced by the system. So to get a loan, they ask you for a pay slip. Yes. So I understand when many people want a pay slip. But I think we have to, if you want to be an employ, a person of value, then to your point, it's the problem you're fixing. It's not whether or not you have an employee yes. number. It's a massive mindset shift. But those people I have seen do that have done very well. So I'll tell you one thing, one type email I get privately uh, because I work here because I do this show so every time I get a, people calling me and say Rams how can we get funding 
we badly. Yeah. You know, after, after the, this gig, I want to get funding on, or I want to expand, sure. or, you know, I want to scale up, I need funding. Sure. Now, how do we deal with this, especially from the role of the banks? Are the banks still funding? And what is their role really in funding early stage businesses? Because the guys who call into this show are early stage business right. people. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, great question, Rams. I think important to say to the listeners, specifically entrepreneurs, it's important to understand the system of capital. Mm. Banks are not designed to fund small businesses. Let me tell you what I mean. People write this thing called the business plan. I looked up the genesis of the business plan. The business plan was designed in 1930. It was designed after the crash of the uh, stock markets mm. in the U.S. And it was designed because what had happened was banks had given loans to big businesses. Said loans were not, were not evaluated on the risk accordingly. So the bank said, we need a standard document that's going to tell us how much risk does this business carry. That document started with an executive summary. It had a SWOT analysis. It had financial projections, an overview of the market. They put it together and they called it a plan for your business, yeah. a business plan. Banks are institutions that take deposits and lend. And for the lending, they charge an interest. For the deposit, they pay a rate. Yes. That's what banks do. Banks are not in the business of funding startup businesses. Mm. It's important to get this message right. In South Africa, because of there having been a lag or a low activity of the venture capital market, and I sit on the board, as you know, of the South African Venture Capital yep. Association, so we're trying to do a lot of work to get more people to be venture capitalists. But in, because there's been a low level of activity for VCs, people have then thought, but banks have evolved with money. Mm. The bank must fund me. Banks don't fund, is the first thing I want to say. The second thing I need to say, which I think is important, if banks fund, they fund typically on cash flows or assets. They yeah. don't fund on ideas. There's no bank that's going to give you money for an idea. So get rid of that idea. The third thing, if you want funding for an idea, you're not an entrepreneur. Full stop. End of story. Don't email, don't call, don't even phone us now, don't tweet, leave it. If you want funding for your idea, you are not an entrepreneur. The very definition of an entrepreneur is a person who has an idea, has the ability to master resources, to execute a minimum viable product on that idea so that they create something that people can see value in and fund. The fact that you want funding for your idea means you're not an entrepreneur. Zero eight nine double one zero double three double seven. I think he's just touched you in your studio right there. You want to talk to him. He's Vusi Tembega. He's our coach tonight, and he'd like to hear from you. Any question really does not have to be on the topic. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, you want some coaching on one thing or another, but if it could be on, some, on the things that we've touched on, it's even better. But we, we open the doors a bit for you to speak to us. 089-110-3377. Vusi, let's go back to the idea thing. The other thing that irks me, uh, and maybe I'm being impatient with people uh, and maybe I was in their stage uh, 21 years ago sure. and, and, and people say I've got this idea Rems, but, but I can't tell you about it because what if you steal it oh. Oh. it, it gets me so oh. angry oh. Oh. yeah I'm going to say something then people are going to rebut but I'll have a rebuttal for their rebuttal so let me say the thing I want to say Yeah. ideas have exactly zero value none there is no value to an idea there is value to the execution of the idea. Yeah. Now, I cannot tell you how many people I've seen come. They do to me as they do to you. And they say, you must sign a non-disclosure. 
I also don't sign non-disclosure. Yes. Yeah. Because there is no way of knowing this thing you're going to pitch to me. I didn't think about six months ago, whilst I was in the shower. Yes. Right. So, so ideas have no value. So stop this thing. I have an idea. Fund me based on my idea. Oh, and I tell you the email. I'm sure the ones I get are similar to yours. The person says this idea is going to. There's a word they use. Revolutionize. Oh, everything. of course. Yes. Yes. And there's so you much have, value. You have never seen something like this That's before. That's it. Yes. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds very American network marketing. And wait, there's more. Right. <laughs> it's got that whole flair to it. So, so no ideas have no value. There is one exception in South Africa. Which is Unkosnati mm-hmm. with please call me. Yes. Now it's important to say the idea was an important part, but equally important was the the um implementation of that idea yes. by the carrier. Right? The issue there was that they didn't pay him. Yeah. Which which they should have. And had they not implemented he, it would have been at no value. There'd be the no value to it. So I if you're an entrepreneur and you want to start a business and you have an idea, do something with your idea. But this is the important part when I, when I rams, which comes to the mindset. The problem with Abantu is the mindset is that I want to start a business based on my idea. That's not what you need to do. Yeah. I can have an idea to start a radio station. So I start first by recording a podcast on my phone. Yes. So I always say to people, start with a little bit, prove the little bit, and then you can get to the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Because when you prove the little bit, people buy in. You build an audience. Yeah. You build stakeholders who want to see you succeed. So when you build the big thing, they get where you're coming from. But you have to start somewhere. Yes, People want to start with the big thing, which is why you get uh, funding applications asking for $20 million, And $5 million of it is to go and buy an office somewhere. Then at $2 million is to buy a fleet for salespeople. Yes. Right? It, that's not going to happen. Nobody's going to fund your fleet. It's very important for us to get this messaging right. Ideas are exactly that. They're spurts of inspiration. They come and they go. What separates those who make it to those who don't is those who make it will follow that idea and they will see it through. But it takes us back to what we spoke about, the, the funding part, which is why it's easier Yeah. with a venture capitalist because... They will then say, "Okay, I think that this idea of yours makes sense. Yes, I'll come in. Yes, uh, I'll put money behind this thing, yes. but I'm going to be a role player, a yes. big role player. Hundred percent. And and I have a problem with our guys who say, Rams, could you help me? But I want you to have nothing with my business. Like, yeah, are you crazy? <laughs> you want me to put this idea of yours into into life? Yeah, but but I should have." Nothing. I should put my skin in and get nothing in return. Yeah. You know, the broader issue we have in South Africa is, I, I said it earlier, so maybe let me just expound on it a bit, little bit, which is that we have, a poor, we have a poor culture of venture capital. In South Africa, people will buy a Bentley for $4 million. Yeah, They won't take $4 million and buy eight businesses, a stake each worth 500,000 500, rand. That they won't do. Mm. So we don't have that culture yet. And we need to develop that culture. Specifically, I'm talking here to the high net worth and ultra high net worth who are black. Because yeah. we know the kid coming from Alexander, that kid can have an idea. Yes. He needs a little bit of help. The, but those people also need to be met with something which is tangible, mm. which is show me an idea, but show me what you've done with it. And that's equally important. Yes. That those two things interplay and interconnect. That said, if you're not willing to part with equity, don't even start a funding conversation. You know, there's two ways to fund businesses. I studied corporate finance for four years, and I, I, I remember I spent many years at INSEAD studying, and I always say to people, the only thing I learned was that actually there's two types of funding instruments, debt and equity. That's it. That's it. It's very technical. Yeah. How those instruments work is very technical, how you use press structures or mezzanine debt, all of that stuff. But actually, it's two types of debt. 
It's either it's like two types of funding, either debt or equity. Equity, you're going to give a little bit away. Yeah. Debt, you're going to pay a portion for based on interest. Yes. That's what it comes down to. So when you're looking for funding, early stage, no one's going to give you debt funding because you've got no cash Forget about to pay it. the debt. Forget about it. So what's the other alternative? It's equity. Only equity, right? Now, what many people don't know is you can claw back. I have clawback clauses in my businesses. And that's how it should work. That's exactly how it should work. In fact, I don't think there's any venture capitalist that wants to stay forever this in your it. business. They want to come in, build it, get out. Get out. Yep. So I want to go Rams. How much do you need? I need a million. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a million. If you get to your revenue target of 10 million and you pay me back half a million of my million, mm. I'll claw back my 50% to 25%. Does that sound, sound good? Yeah. Because 50% of 1 million is not worth 25% of 10 million. Not at all. So I still see equity valuation and growth. You see less equity from my, my end. It's a win-win situation. But we have to learn how to negotiate these things. Zero eight nine double one zero double three double seven. So they're calling. They promised to call. They're calling. Eddie, good evening. Good evening to both of you in studio. Yes, sir. Lekaina. Eddie. Um, I'm going to be very short, but it's very important to, um, to let you guys know, both of you, that I look up to you so, so much, and I'm not the only one. So keep up the great work that you are both doing. All of you, both of you, you you're just on the same breath, and it's amazing on the, the information that you emit. I, I appreciate and I'm sure million others do too. So keep it up and I hope you stay blessed. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Eddie. The real All rock right. star here is Rams. I'm just a guest. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> He's the He's expert. So, yeah, um, VC, you did touch me on my studio there regarding if you need funding, you're not an entrepreneur. It makes one thing differently. So, um, uh, a quick question. If then moto analytically ideas the malwa, despite that they might be dispersed all over, you want to contain them to from ten to five. How do you then identify which one should take priority? I mean, as you move, as you social, as you socialize, what happens is you, you end up obviously looking into if you are into events. You yeah. Yet you get taken by that wave and then transportation. You get taken. How do you then say yeah. this is the one that, I mean, obviously, and what I've realized as well, that when I put energy on a certain uh, project, you, you get more information and you get yeah. great direction yeah. towards that. But what about those you leave behind? And how do you then merge all of them to be one? That's my question. Thank you, Brady. Please listen on the radio. You can respond immediately because we don't have, we don't sure. take. So it's very, it's very question simple. Question and answer. Eddie, your, 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 your question is actually very simple to answer. The first thing to say is that the discipline of being an entrepreneur is knowing which idea to pursue and then pursuing that idea relentlessly. Mm. Every successful entrepreneur I've met has ideas all the time, but they have the discipline to stick to one. Mm. So you, you've got to pick one and you've got to stick to it. The second thing to say is be very careful of building me two businesses because it sounds to me like that's what he's describing. So people have a catering company. I create one. Then they have an event company. I create one. Now people are doing multimedia. I create one. Mm. And anytime, I hate traffic. 
You know this. I hate sitting in traffic. <laughs> yes. And the reason I hate traffic he is because the I hate... VA doesn't work very well in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't breathe. <laughs> exactly. The reason I hate traffic is because I hate what it symbolizes. It symbolizes that I am now acting in exactly the same manner as the average person, which is the antithesis of an entrepreneur. Yeah. So when you find yourself in a market that is cluttered, too many people, too many players, everybody does it, you call it a wave, I call it traffic. I want to be in the room, and when I tell you what I do, you go, what is that? Because it means I'm ahead of the curve. Yes. By the time you catch up, I'm five years down the line. I've moved on to something new, mm. something different. If you're finding yourself in spaces where when they call a tender briefing, there's 200 people, you're in the wrong market. Find a different one. Yo, I'm going to Tavo. Hey, how's it, Jason? Good, how are you? Do you want to stop the car, mate, man? Hey, you know, the feedback is not nice. Man. Oh, okay, let me, I'm pausing right yeah. now. Uh, I'm stopping. It's also safe. Like how's that now? Better, it's better. Go ahead. Much better. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Uh, great show, great conversations. And I think my emphasis is really going to be around um, the funding model, okay? Mm. Uh, you know, we've got the critical mess of Matwabatsu and we've explored it in terms of the society and so on and so forth. But the society model does not uh, take into account the compound effect of interest. Um, and I'd like to tap into your head around the, applying the venture capital model around the critical mass of 36 million South Africans that have got five randa or even seven randa on a daily basis. Mm. And investing in something, a vehicle, a pool, which has got a risk appetite, which enables... Um, people to actually have access to funding. Mm. Call it a bank. Mm. That is for the people, and that has got the risk appetite for the people. Because Banca Grand Grandi, they're going to tell you about all these lovely risk matrices until kingdom come. But how do we commercialize the risk, or rather the critical mass that we have mm. as bar tool, instead of the stock failure or the society, but how to actually commercialize that to a, something like a bank, that will work for the people. Um, yeah. I'd really love some insight on that. Great stuff. Now start driving and listen. Nice and easy, quick and easy answer. The, so the first thing is you can't use the venture capital model for a consumer mass market. The reason is quite simple. Venture capitalists, we take long-term approaches mm -hmm. and I get locked in. So there's an investment in Cape Town I'm trying to exit. I've been in that investment for the past six years. The argument we're having is about five years. The argument we're having is about the valuation. Yeah. Right. I can wait. <laughs> it, it will get to that. It always does. Yeah. Right. The people who want to buy me out, they want to pay me what I believe is worth. But I've waited five years. I've seen this thing grow fairly well. Yeah. But I've had five million locked in this business for five years. Most people can't do that. Mm. So when you say to people, uh, every month, and then we're going to fund businesses, it's, it's not going to work because those businesses take that money and they invest it in long-term projects. They build assets. Yeah. They, 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 they build long-term capacity and scale. In month three, the consumer then wants the 36 bucks back and it's not available. Mm. So that's why typically those things crash. Where I think he's correct and this is, for me, the opportunity, the political opportunity we missed in this country. In 1994, we could have done so much. One of the things we should have done was to really think about whether or not we should be buying shares in listed banks or if we shouldn't be creating our own, specifically using the insurance model. Mm. And here's why that's important. You see, the Afrikaners, say whatever you, would, you will about them, knew this. So when at the, at the turn of, of power, 1948, when the Nats took power from the British, yeah. they didn't do... African economic empowerment by buying into British companies. 
They created they did, their own. They created their own. So yeah. they didn't buy Standard Bank, which is 150 years old. They created Volkskast, which later became APSA. Yeah. They didn't buy into Old Mutual or Mutual and Federal, which was the oldest insurance company yeah. in the continent, 120 years old odd. They went and created Santam and Sunlam. Yeah. Rona went and bought in. So because we went and bought in, we didn't create our own class of mm. capital. Mm. What they did, coincidentally, is they used the insurance model to finance economic growth. Yes. So they created insurance companies which collect premiums. From the insurance company, created banks, which were able to use that money in premiums to institutionalize themselves, a little bit of lending on the short term. Yeah. And on the lending on the short term, they created capital from the interest that they were earning, built balance sheets, and then built an economy. We didn't do that. We opted to buy in. Now we've opted to buy in. We've not built a new economy. And that's why the economy is not growing because there are young people coming through the system and we built nothing. Think about it. How many black billionaires do we know that built a business and listed on the, on the JC? I know one. One. And that's scary. And this is in 24 years. But we have black billionaires. They just didn't create anything. <laughs> Tony, good evening. Good evening, how are you? We're good. Go ahead, mate. No, I'm all right. I've just uh, got a question pertaining to funding. I've been funding from my pocket. Mm. Uh, my uh, I've got a business registered in Zambia. Mm. And I'm buying from here to uh, Zambia. And uh, I've been obviously funding from my pocket. And now I'm expecting a huge order. And uh, I'm always buying cash to the side. Mm. Mm. So I'm caught up uh, in in, uh, in in looking for funding. Mm. 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 Yeah, mm. yeah, very simple. So again, so you're funding from your pocket, which which means you've probably heard it. You don't have one, I don't imagine. But if you did, and somebody did your financials, you'd find you have a lazy balance sheet. The other thing for you to think about is because you're paying cash. If you're not being paid cash by your customers, then you, in effect, are funding your customers. Uh -huh. So what that means is you're taking your money from your pocket, you're buying something, they're using it, they're earning the benefit of it, and then they pay you later. You're paying them. They're not paying you. There's a reason why pick and pay is called pick and pay. You pick, you pay. Yeah. But when, they, when you go to a pick and pay and you pick, they haven't paid the supplier yet. So the supplier pays pick and pay for you to come and pick and pay, mm. right? So great businesses, I say this to entrepreneurs all the time, you don't have to be profitable. You just have to be cash flow positive. Big difference. You can run a business 10 years and make losses as long as you're cash flow positive. I have known a number of businesses like that. <laughs> a number of them like that. And drive a Bentley. And they're driving Bentleys and everything. They're making no profit. But they're cash flow positive. That's right. Yeah. So it's just about getting your, getting your working capital right, your working capital cycle, and getting your cash flow right. If you get those two things right. So the question he's asked is, now he's funding from his pocket. Here's what I would say to him. You've got a big order coming in. I would take that order and I would factor it. I would go to a bank and I'd say, listen, I've got this order. I've got to service it. Supply me with some credit for me to service the order. Yeah. Consider here, too, that it is likely the bank won't fund him on that order. Mm. The reason is because he's supplying outside South Africa. And they can't take capital exposure in a different country where they have no regulatory protection. Yes. So I think he's in between a bit of a rock and a hard place. My suggestion is he's going to have to find either a DFI that'll fund him and sell the story of a Pan-African type of business, mm -hmm. or he's going to have to find a venture capital angel funder who'll say to him, I understand what you're doing. Let me give you some money to fulfill this order. Okay, we're going to take one last call. Uh, Ebron, good evening to you. Hey, good evening, Rams, and uh, good evening uh, to uh, PT. Yes, sir. 
Yeah, look, you know what? I'm looking at uh, the country's uh, economic scale at the moment, and I'm looking at uh, the high unemployment rate in the country, and I'm also looking at uh, the lack of interest into uh, venturing into entrepreneurship by uh, the graduates or are the people that have an interest into venturing into business. And it's simply because of the barriers that are in there, both in the private sector and uh, the public sector. But the question that I need to ask him is, because based on where I'm standing, I think, uh, you know, the hype around entrepreneurship and mm. uh, that interest, people yeah. are losing interest in it simply because they can't get funding. They don't have access to markets. Uh, they don't know how to manage their business. Can we ask they the question, Ebron? We don't have much time. Yeah, so my question to him is one. Um, what does he think? I mean, what else does he think is going to stimulate the economy except for entrepreneurship development? Yeah, yeah. Great question. Oh, it's a great question. Uh, long preamble. Ebron, actually very simple, and it's a great question for you to ask me because it allows myself to give myself a bit of a shameless plug. So I have long said that we don't need more entrepreneurs. In fact, we actually don't need entrepreneurs. What we need is skilled people. Skilled people start businesses. Businesses are not businesses don't create skilled people so you, you can if you don't have a skill you can't start a business you want to start a plumbing business what do you need to know how to plumb yeah you want to start an electrification business you need to become an electrician you want to start a tech business you need to know how to write code so i always say to people chase the skill the business will come later it's what with skills revolution is what we need as you know we've been working on building our hub in toyando yeah that hub is a skills hub. Well, we're going to be training tilers. We're going to be training plumbers. We're going to be training um, technicians. We're going to be training electricians. We're going to be training coders. I want to spend a lot of time on this because, because I, I'm so interested in this it's peri-urban economy yeah, and, yeah. and building stuff like that. Because because the, what in South Africa, what we've done, and it's it's a beautiful the way you say it, this peri-urban economy, what we've done is we where there are centers of economic aggregation, we thought it's economic activity. Hmm. It's not. Santin is not an economic hub. Santin is a reporting hub. ShopRite has head offices in Santin. Yeah. ShopRite does not make the most of their money in Santin. In Santin, yeah. Right? APSA might be head office here, but where does APSA make money? So what we've done because of groupthink is we have taken the entrepreneurial activity and funding to where there's economic reporting, aggregation, not economic activity. So what we did as a firm is we said, where is the activity? So if you look for a hub where people train entrepreneurs, where do you find them? In centers of economic activity or, in in this country, centers of economic aggregation. You'll find them in Santin. You'll find them in town. You'll find them where people are. Yeah, in Cape Town. That's right. You'll find them in in Cape Town in Woodstock. Yes. But you won't find it in Kailija or Langa where people live. That's where we need to be building these centers. So that for us is how we do it. And I think he's quite right. We need need a skills revolution. So important. How do people find you? Where do people connect with you? So I'm online. You know, all yeah. my stuff is at Vusi Tembeguayo. So yeah. the website is at Vusi Tembeguayo. The my handles are at Vusi Tembeguayo. The stuff we're doing with our fund is my growth fund. So you yeah. can see it there. The hub launches in a week, so I'm really excited. We're going to be training 100 young people with fully accredited courses from the University of Pretoria. It's costing us 50,000 rand a person. So you can do the numbers. Yeah. It cost us five million rand to build the structure. And on top of that, we're going to be offering free Wi-Fi. We're going to be offering free access to telephony. We're going to be giving them hubs and meeting rooms. We're going to be giving them boardrooms. And it's in the heart 
of Tohoyando. It's very important for me to say that it wouldn't be possible for us to do that our partners because I think Edel Tile and Ceramics have been phenomenal in seeing the vision for what we want to do and believing that it can be done. Now that we're implementing it, we're hoping we're going to be we're going to be getting the support of other corporates to show them what we need to do. Stop this thing of building hubs in Sandton. Because poor people must always pay now to get on taxis, to come to Sandton, to access your hub. You say to an entrepreneur who lives at Lokshin, to start a business, he has no money to eat, but he must come up with 10 rand to come to your hub in Sandton. It's ridiculous. Ten rand to Sandton? Well, Forget about it. You can tell the last he time. He's founder and chief executive <laughs> of My Growth Fund, convener of the Iconoclast, best selling author of Mag- the Magna Carta of Exponentiality. Fuck me. <laughs> Excuse me, I didn't say that word on air. I promise you this. We shall have you back because it's important to talk about building economies outside these centers that are celebrated. Absolutely. The real world is not in, in Sandton. The Absolutely. real world is probably two kilometers across Sentin in Alexandra. You're a rock star, my brother. I'm humbled that you've had me. When here. you come back, we talk only about that. Good man.